I'm Robert Colangelo, and this is Green Sense, where we bring you eco-innovations that are changing your world. Transportation continues to change, and as technology changes, society adapts to advancements. And thanks to this week's guests, we've been kept informed about all the new developments in transportations so that you could be ahead of the change curve. Today, we'll look back at the key stories in 22 and transportation trends to expect in 2023. Tom Appel is our publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive, and he joins us now with our feature, Green Automotive News. Tom, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me. Well, Tom, you've been on the show for years, and one thing we rarely talk about is your day job. So tell us about Consumer Guide Automotive and how your day job really shapes you to be an expert on automotive issues. Yeah, I'm, I'm constantly exposed to new vehicles. So that's sort of the core of what we do here at Consumer Guide, which is review new vehicles. However, uh, to, know, to know and understand the vehicles, we kind of need to understand the business case and what's going on and why vehicles change over time and who, they, who those changes appeal to. And one of the big things that has happened in the last 20 years since I've been here at Consumer Guide is cars have become trucks, trucks have gotten bigger, and trucks have also gotten to be almost always equipped with all-wheel drive. And these things fight against the same efficiency that we're seeing uh, everyone want gains in. So it's been an interesting challenge to watch. We're watching vehicles get bigger, heavier, and more powerful, and yet more efficient. So that's good, but that efficiency curve was slowed down by this move to trucks. Well, what about going electric? Will that keep that uh, curve moving forward? It will. And it's funny because there's a conversation right now about the, the GMC Hummer and how it's the least efficient electric vehicle out there. And it's sort of it's sort of exactly the wrong message uh, for moving electric. But on the other hand, it is still more, uh, more efficient in terms of energy consumption than any gasoline or diesel powered pickup. So it's a wonderful example of folly and, and actually the, the, the genuine uh, efficiency of electric motors. Well, for many car enthusiasts, you have the dream job. You get to deal with cars all day long. You get to test drive every car out there. Tell me, what do you like most about your job? Uh, exactly that. It's fun to move from vehicle to vehicle to vehicle. And, and it keeps me on top of technology that I might not nor normally keep up with, including uh, telecommunication stuff, infotainment stuff, like I have to know about Apple CarPlay and Android Auto and Amazon Alexa, because those things are being integrated into vehicles now. Well, that's fantastic, and we're so happy to have you on the show. So before we get into a look back and a look forward, let's talk about oil. Uh, many of us now use quick oil change services, uh, and one of the best things that, that has happened to protect the environment are these services. All that oil used to be dumped in the back 40 or down the sewer or put in a plastic milk jug and thrown in a landfill and uh, was not recycled or properly handled. Now it is. But there's a downside. Getting a quick oil change is complicated now, and it's expensive, and there's a lot of hype and misinformation, especially when it comes to traditional oil versus synthetic oil. So who do we go to that can give us the facts? Our buddy, Tom Appel. So we want the facts on oil changes. And generally, when you go to a quick change oil uh, facility, you have three choices. Uh, uh, you could e each has a different price and a different longevity between changes. So you either have min mineral or traditional oil, semi-synthetic oil or synthetic oil. So let's talk about a, a couple of issues related to, to each one of those. And I'll say the issue and we'll have you compare and contrast each of those. So to begin with, Tom, how is traditional oil 
and synthetic oil produced, and how are they different? Uh, interestingly, they're almost the same thing because they both start with a petroleum base. What happens to synthetic oil is it's highly modified, and, and the big difference between the two has to do with the molecular uh, um, uniformity between uh, of, of the actual oil itself. Conventional oil has has molecules that are very different in size, very large and very small. And this prevents normal transfer of viscosity or change in viscosity as temperatures change. Synthetic oil has extremely uniform mole uh, molecules. And because of that, uh, it, it, can it can change viscosity as temperature demands. It lasts longer, but it, most importantly, it, it simply lubricates more uniformly. That's amazing. I never knew that uh, uh, synthetic oil comes from a natural oil stock. Yeah. Why do they call it synthetic oil? Uh, because it's no longer really petroleum. What, the, the molecules have been changed to such an extent that they would degrade differently. It's not the stock stuff anymore. Well, this is a tough question because there's so many different cars out there. But which type of oil is best for your car? Synthetic? semi-synthetic or, or natural or mineral oil? Unless you are driving a very old vehicle with compression issues, synthetic is almost always better. It's simply the better lubricant. It'll do better in the winter. And this is a big problem in the snow belt. You know, we're up here in Chicago at Consumer Guide. Uh, but the most wear you can do to an engine is when you start it up. And the most wear you can do when you start it up is when it's really cold because it takes the longest for the oil to get where it needs to be in the engine. Synthetic oil simply gets moved around an engine more quickly. Great answer. So what would you consider old as a car? Um, a car that's more than 20 years old may burn through synthetic oil very quickly. And if you have to add oil, don't bother with synthetic. <laughs> You're just adding something very expensive. Additionally, if it's just blowing out the back of your car, don't do it either. It's, it's, it's too expensive to waste. And then where would you use the hybrid oil that's uh -oh. semi-synthetic? If, if you have a car that does not yet, if you're warrant, I'm sorry, if your owner's manual does not yet call for synthetic and you want to do something a little bit better, you can use the hybrid oil, um, the 50-50 blend. There's, it, it's a weird thing to still have on the market because most manufacturers are now requiring synthetic oil for new vehicles. So we're probably going to see the blend go away. How often should you change your oil when you have uh, the, the uh, traditional oil versus the full synthetic? That's the big question because uh, uh, it seems like the oil change places want you to change it very rapidly and you're paying so much for that more expensive oil. So give us the facts, Tom. Yeah, I think we all remember the commercials for oil changes at 3,000 miles and those aren't necessary anymore in most cases. You have to check your owner's manual or just check online. You don't have to go to your owner's manual to determine the interval. But once you're out of warranty, while you're in warranty, just do what the what the manufacturer says. Once you're out of warranty, you can usually double the oil change interval using its synthetics. So from 3,500 miles to maybe 7,000 miles, something like that. And in the case of, I think it was the RAV4, even new, uh, Toyota is recommending 10,000 mile oil change intervals. So the synthetic goes a long way. That's 10,000 with synthetic? Yes. At RAV, yes. Uh, and that's what I was hearing that you should be able to get uh, in that seven to 10,000 range. Uh, uh, how do you know for sure how far you can push it? Yeah, you either want to check your owner's manual while you're under warranty. Afterwards, you might want to check the oils, the oil manufacturer's website. Um, other than that, there are cars equipped with oil change monitors that tell you when to change your oil based on your usage. That's a great way to do it. Now, I don't believe most of those take into account that you're using synthetic, however. Interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of misinformation out there. 
So bottom line, what is the cost benefit of using synthetic oil? Uh, you pay about twice as much for a conventional oil change by going to synthetic. So that's twice as much money. However, you save two to 3% on fuel economy. Uh, and that's, that's documented. So you get some of that money back. Additionally, if you're going to hold on to your vehicle, your engine's going to last longer in the long run. Which has got uh, 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 an uncalculatable value to it. Absolutely. So, Tom, thanks. This is a uh, uh, subject that's been burning at me because I know a lot of people have questions about it. And thanks for setting us straight. So let's take a look back at 2022. It was a volatile year. Tell us about some of the key stories, some of the advancements, and some of the setbacks that we saw in 2022. Yeah, 2022 was sort of a proof of concept year for the EV. We saw so many EVs launch. We saw uh, the Ford F-150 Lightning, which was much anticipated. We saw Rivian, startup manufacturer Rivian, finally delivering product, which is wonderful. Uh, we saw, and this is insane, we saw um, um, Tesla open up two more factories in a year and get them running. Which, which is amazing. And the, Tesla now has the capacity to produce two, two and a half million vehicles a year. Um, and speaking of Tesla, the Model Y, which is the small crossover, um, is probably going to be one of the 10 best-selling vehicles in the United States this year. So we have an EV cracking that top 10 barrier, which is very interesting. Um, and, and we're going to see that overall sales in the U.S. will be about 5% EV. In California, they're going to hit 10% this year. That's pretty significant. What other advancements did you see out there? Uh, we keep seeing advances uh, in, in battery technology, which is wonderful. And then we're seeing some setbacks in battery technology, too, because there have been supply chain issues. So one of the interesting things that's happening right now, and we, this isn't a fully formed thing yet, we're, we're seeing some movement from lithium ion batteries to something called lithium phosphate, which uses just a little bit less uh, of, of the rare materials, the cobalt, the lithium and the manganese. So we're seeing some movement there, and this is a market adjustment. Those batteries aren't as efficient, but may actually kind of plug a hole in the supply chain until things get better. And what about some of the setbacks? Uh, setbacks this year, unfortunately, we're seeing that, that the, the charging network, which is largely private enterprise, not getting the job done, unfortunately. And we're seeing things like Electrify America and, and EVGo putting up these charging stations and they are level three fast DC charges, which is what we want. And then so many of them don't work or don't work as advertised. They're not delivering the full wattage. Um, they're not working with your credit card or your membership card and they don't recognize your vehicle. So these are things that need to be fixed. They're out there, they're going to be fixed. But unfortunately, I think uh, it was a sour note we didn't need to hit. Well, just the other day, I've always wondered why aren't charging stations, electric charging stations at gas stations? And I saw a gas station and in the back of it, they had about 20 of the Tesla fast chargers that were being installed and almost ready to turn on. Because eventually gas stations are going to uh, supply less gas and they're in great locations. Why not turn those into charging stations? Did I see the beginning of a trend or was this an anomaly and an outlier? I'm hoping it is a trend, and I believe it's a trend. And one of the interesting things about gas stations, I mean, we hear about how oil producers make money, but gas stations are often different enterprises, and they often make money because you go in for a Diet Pepsi, and, and you can fill your tank in three or four minutes, but it's going to take you 25, 30 minutes to charge your EV. That's a lot of time to be buying Diet Pepsis and, and Mr. Pibbs. So you would think that this would be a money-making opportunity if you're going to have people hanging around longer. And I think we are going to see exactly that. What other trends do you see in 2023? 
2023. Um, one of the interesting things that we've seen, and this is a little bit inside baseball, is manufacturers, especially General Motors, making a very big deal of the fact that they are locking down their supply networks. And that's, that's we hear General Motors talking about how they have all the manganese, all the cobalt, and all the lithium. They need to make two and a half million batteries by the end of 2025. So when the supply chain is weak like this, I guess stockholders really want to hear that you've got that situation taken care of. And we're probably going to see more manufacturers making announcements like this or setting up uh, joint ventures so that they have the supply chains open, or at least appear to. <laughs> you know, there was a big push, I guess, in the 80s and 90s to outsource things. Do you see companies, uh, auto manufacturing, stopping that and, and doing all the manufacturing in a self-contained operation? Some of that stuff is being pulled in house. And yeah, a lot of that stuff was outsourced. And we had a lot of small companies, a lot of tier two, a lot of tier three suppliers. But the big movement right now seems to be joint ventures. And that's specifically with battery suppliers. And these battery suppliers are often better able to lock down a supply network of things. But General Motors, for example, now has four factories either completed or underway in the U.S. with um, um, EG, what is it? LG Chem, I'm sorry, South Korean battery manufacturer, LG Chem, and all four of these are joint ventures. So they're going in, has these on, on the cost, but they also have um, some access, or it is proprietary technology. What other key stories and advancements and setbacks do you see uh, coming up in 23? I think we're going to hear more about a company called Radwood Materials. And this is a company that was founded by someone who had spent time over at Tesla. Uh, and this is a battery recycling company. And they have very, very high uh, expectations to be able to fully recover almost all of the materials in a battery once they're turned around. Now, we don't have that many used or depleted EV batteries yet. We're getting to that point right now because there just haven't been that many EVs. But it's nice to see that at least one company is set up like this. And there are manufacturers, including BMW, that are looking to set up partnerships with this company. So it's looking like this is going to take. Any other advancements, especially when it comes to chip manufacturing? There was quite a shortage. Will we see that come to an end in 23? I think we will. The chip shortage was, was such an interesting blip because ultimately no chip manufacturer wanted to add capacity for a temporary surge in demand. And so we had to work through that. And I think that there are some there is some additional chip manufacturing capacity and it's probably enough. And people keep pushing back the date when supply is gonna normalize, but we're in a weird situation now where it looks like consumer demand for vehicles has slipped. So that normalization in terms of price and production may be coming faster than some of the more dire uh, predictions suggested. So we had companies like Carvana uh, collapse or go bankrupt. Uh, you know, we saw car prices go through the roof where is pricing and supply and demand going to shake out in 23? That's a good question. We've seen used car demands this year slip 10%. It was quiet. It, 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 not a lot of people took notice of it because there was an up and down component to it. But used car prices seem to have come down. Uh, and new car supply seems to be up. And, I, and this is entirely by personal observation, but I'm seeing stocks show up in dealerships that I monitor. So that looks good. And the actual measured day supply is going up as well. There's something like 1.8 million vehicles on the ground now, up from 600,000 just a year ago. So the supply is getting better. Are prices coming down? No. <laughs> no and, we we and, are seeing some very soft rebating taking place. It's usually the kind of thing that a manufacturer does just to help someone secure a loan. But even $500 or $1,000 on the hood of a vehicle does help. 
we're seeing interest rates climb continuously, and that really impacts the purchase of new vehicles. You know, from a three percent to an eight percent is a huge difference when you purchase a car. Are the manufacturers or the dealers doing anything to offset the higher interest rate costs? Not directly. There are some subvented lease rates and some subvented loans that are a little bit cheaper. But yeah, affordability is a big issue. The average new car loan is comfortably over $500 now, which is a real affordability issue. Yes. Well, Tom, anything else you'd like to add as far as looking back, looking forward or about autos, anything we missed? You know, just a real quick thing. We talked about the supply shortage in terms of uh, materials for for EV batteries. Um, but sadly, the curve of, of price reduction in EV batteries has actually stopped. We had gotten down to some manufacturers saying they could produce a battery for about $100, $110 a kilowatt hour. That bounced all the way back up to 135 this year. Interesting. Well, I've also heard that Rivian's having some issues with uh, production and quality. Anything on that? Yeah, Rivian's had a really tough go of it. And it's a shame because that truck gets such great reviews, the R, R, R1S and the R1T. Uh, I'm dying to drive one, still haven't managed to pull that off. But that just goes to show how hard it is to build a car. And we watched well, Tesla stumble and, and, and Rivian will stumble too. Well, when you get that test drive, let me know because I want to share that with you because it looks yeah. like a wonderful ride. And the F-150 Lightning was fantastic. So I can't imagine how good the Rivian will be. Tom, thank you for your generosity and just openly sharing your knowledge with our listeners throughout the year. We appreciate you being on the show and we think you have a wonderful job. <laughs> I do. I do have a great job. Well, that's Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive, looking back and forward to share his thoughts on trends in green transportation. Green Sense is an independent radio show. We rely on sponsorship and listener support to produce high quality audio broadcasts that promote innovators with sustainable solutions. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, visit the greensensefarms.com website to learn more. I'm Robert Colangelo. Thank you for listening to GreenSense and check out the GreenSense Minute every Thursday and Saturday on 105.9 FM, WBBM, Chicago.